Welcome to Neighborly. Upon further reflection. House number 38, Little Street. Once upon a time, that time being the current era and the once referring to a handful of decades ago, a red brick house was built on Little Street. It was a place where children could grow up, where a magnolia tree could bloom in the front yard, where families could grow and change much like the world around them. The first nuclear unit that resided within it built a playset in the backyard with three little swings and a little clubhouse just perfect for secretive little meetings. After them was a couple with a pair of twins, and while one had their bedroom painted hot pink, the other plugged in his Xbox in the basement and learned how to get really good at first-person shooter games. Those twins grew up in the house together, until, of course, they moved, making way for yet another family to live there. It was then that a golden mirror was placed at the base of the house's stairway, an ornately framed and stunning piece that reflected anyone who decided to go up or down. All those people are long dead. The mirror is still there, though. What can I say? It's a classy touch. There are, of course, no clubs on Little Street. Indeed, the street's concept of nightlife is largely restricted to the various owls, foxes, and other creatures that shiver and cavort under the moon's tender caress. The humans that dwell there have other ideas, however. That, and access to public transport. And so it is that Caspian stumbles off the last bus home, dancing with the lampposts and taking care to avoid being sick in the bushes. He gives blurry acknowledgement to his more interesting neighbours as he meanders. The LED lights shine down on him in an oil slick of hues from each window of House 31. He shoots a wry grin in its direction. They tend to run in different circles, but he can appreciate the way of life followed by those who inhabit it but he doesn't care much to linger. After all, his own house awaits him. The red brick of number 38. His key slips across the lock, once, twice, thrice, before it clicks into place. And with a languorous flick of the wrist, he is home. An interesting word, to be sure. For if home is where the heart is, then Caspians lay far from the sleepy little nowhere neighbourhood. Then again... If home is where you hang your hat and your riotous cloak of feathers, then this could definitely be some definition of home. Caspian is not the sort to enjoy mundanity. He is... a special boy. A proper princeling. A runaway from the fetters of his parents' control. All those rules and expectations. And none of it actually about the important things in life. Namely, him. Of course, if Caspian were just a little more willing to pay attention to the mundane, then perhaps his power would not have been shut off while he was out partying. Ah, Caspian. Face of an angel, brain of a fool. Still, at least he understands the concept of lighters. He once realised that he can pull off some sort of loose charm with a cigarette dripping between his fingers, smoke pooling about his temples while the street lamps catch that incendiary halo, and now he is rarely found without one. 
Furthermore, he had picked up a candle addiction in his late teens. He liked to think that it made him somehow more connected to the spiritual, that something about the flame could draw the supernatural like moths for him to be pinned about his person, and that they would shine there more brightly even than the finest of diamonds that hung from one of his ears. He runs a thumb over the ignition, curls his palm around the flame as he lights first a cigarette and then the candles in the window. He moves languidly as his stupor fades into a subtle blur around the edges, and then he sees it. Really, see it, I mean. Dear God, he is so beautiful. That hair, that, that glow, dear God. He stands, mouth agape, lips full and soft, and his breath warm and sweet as it fogs the glass and those eyes. Has anyone ever had such beautiful eyes, or framed any artwork in gold or silver or ebony as rich and luscious as the lashes which frame them? His cheeks, too, full and sweet and dimpled to perfection, all of it graced with a smattering of freckles to rival any constellation. And all of it reflected back at him in a gilded wave so overwhelming it's a wonder he never noticed it before. But now, lighter in one hand and a candle in the other, he sees, really, truly sees. For what else could he be looking at? He is so beautiful. Dear God. As he presses his nose to the glass, Flames discarded in a whiff of smoke. The one called Echo closes her eyes and mirrors him. They are so close now. How does she love him? How has she come to love him more so? Or how much does she love him? With what power? With what autonomy? With what very essence of herself has she loved him? With what patience does she continue to love him? Perhaps one should ask why she loves him or who she is to love him, or when such a love began. No matter. She has loved him since the moment they met, since the moment her gilded mirror was placed on the wall, and he later grumbled for the movers to shift it six inches higher. In that moment, Eka remembers her heart fluttering against the shell of her illusory ribcage. Their eyes met for the very first time. He was staring deeply into the silvery reflection, and she was awestruck, gazing back at him. An outsider she was, and is, and will be. She finds herself a bystander to his everyday life. No, not every day. To assume he could be anything close to ordinary would be a slight against him. Every moment she gets to spend with him is a gift. The best memories are fleeting glances into his heart. Caspian licking his finger and smudging the corner of his lipstick. Softening his sharper edges, complimenting his cheekbones, his stubble that would make anyone else look unkempt surely, but in him looks just dashing, and Caspian roughly pulling out a ponytail and letting gentle blonde waves fall around his shoulders, raking his hands through them, dressed in a smile and dark circles under his enchanting eyes, and Caspian rushing to the front door, hopping as he pulls on his other stiletto, laughing into the phone, the sound ringing through Echo's ears like church bells, and Caspian, Caspian. 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 He presses a hand against the mirror, feeling the cool palm of his reflection press against his own, and he has no idea Echo is sure that she could be the one he's looking for. 
The days draw out into rising heat and falling stars, and with them Caspian is drawn out too away from his home, his hearth, and though he does not know it from her, he does not know that he is missed, though it would hardly surprise him to learn it. How could anyone feel otherwise in his absence? Caspian is rippling reflections of light, and he knows every room is made more beautiful for having him in it. Little Street is not big enough to hold him. He is, he thinks, very much like all the art in the world, better for being shared. And so share he does, the radiance of his benevolence growing brighter and more brilliant with every smile, every kiss, every turn on every dance floor, every drink poured and every midnight meal. All of it with friends he will never see again. By the height of the summer's heat he burns. He comes home late, then late again, then so late that one might call it early. But he does come home. After all, it is in that stretch of dewy dawn that Caspian courts his reflection. He is taken to keeping a bottle of micellar water downstairs, so that as he steps in the door, he can stroke the smudges of paint around his eyes until his true face is revealed. Sleepy and soft, eyes rimmed red and lips bitten and chapped and plump and pink and covered in a shimmer of his own sweat and glitter from some other pretty young thing's skin. He likes them well enough. He likes himself more. He drinks himself in, and God, doesn't something so perfect deserve the whole world? The answer, Caspian thinks, is yes. And then he takes his tired bones to bed again. Tomorrow he will be beautiful, and the world will weep. Within the slate grey void of the reflected realm, summer sunshine is nothing but a trick of the eye. A few rays that dance across the carpet of the foyer at the corner of her vision. Echo can't even imagine the warmth beaming down from the firmament, or the very concept of the thing. The closest sensation she can possibly conceptualize is the way that he pulls her out of the vacuum that surrounds her. It was so easy for her once to simply manifest what appeared before her and lose herself in it. Now there is a newfound strength flowing through her intangible sense of self. She feels herself actively seeking his presence and cherishing his form, with an emphasis on the latter, since her blossoming attentiveness has left her to notice that he has gone more and more frequently now that all the world is alive and breathing. Echo misses him terribly. She knows every second with him is stolen. And yet, doesn't the coveting make that which is not yours all the more sweet? There is a horrible abandonment that houses her, and a terrible pit somewhere where her stomach would be. No, she feels it, feels the gut-wrenching doubt that comes in and creeps across every surface in one's mind. Its slinking tendrils grip for any purchase they can find, and in turn the heart wails in agony, begging for its chance to feel satiated. The wanting falls in waves over her, crashing against the rocky shore of her crumbling spirit. Why would he go? Echo asks, her voice instantly swallowed by nothingness. Why would he stay? The empty world silently replies. Why would he? He doesn't know you exist. He's carefree. He doesn't care. He doesn't know. A solution provides itself in the realization of the true problem. Let him know, 
and he will stay. Echo intends to fill the cavity of her chest with breath and exhale, but there is nothing to create the force to do so. But there is an unshakable urge at the very core of her existence to be seen, to be known. It builds from intention to being as she gasps and shudders, pleading for any cruel god that will listen to allow her a moment of structure. There was no one listening but me, and you, through me, and I certainly don't care. But some aspect of the living world allows her enough forgiveness for Echo to inhale feeling the pressure of oxygen against the limits of her form, and release. Tiny droplets of moisture condense onto the window, the other side of which is much warmer than Echo's home, being that it has warmth at all. She lifts a finger and places it in the haphazard array of fog on her portal to existence as we know it. She writes an H. When it stays, she continues with an E, an L, its twin, and then lavishes in the rounded O that follows. Her giddiness is clear in the tinkling laughter swirling through her mind, the unbridled joy found in a beginning. He walks by it, cocks an eyebrow, and shakes his head. Must be a trick of the light. She leaves, I am your echo. The next evening, waiting with admirable restraint for him to return and see her first outward expression of existence. He doesn't come home. When she tries to write, I love you, the next day, she cannot find the power that informs the creation of breath. What a pity. And so it continues their intricate dance between loving and beloved. Echo can hardly be satisfied until he sees her, and surely he must. She leaves him gifts each day, promises that he is loved, that she is here, and that they were meant to be. How sweet. It cannot last, though. When Caspian brings home a girl who is not her, her whole world shatters. Stumbling through the lofty foyer, scrambling for perches upon which to balance, two tangled figures completely absorb themselves in one another's company. Caspian pulls back for a moment, his breath laboured, before pushing his partner against the mirror. Her mirror, the one trimmed with intricate gold, and leaned in to press another feverish kiss against the other girl's lips. Echo can feel nothing but a hollow, aching kind of disbelief. The kind that consumes you. The kind that makes you want to reach for any sort of answer that will satisfy the part of your heart that still has the foolishness to dream. This can't be real, she thinks. If only I could make sure this isn't real, she thinks. And before she can think any further, she's pressing her hands against the silvery surface, willing herself into being. There's no one for Caspian but the one that lies just beyond his field of vision, the one who presses her hand against an intangible thing and cries with every part of herself for it to break. So it does. Like the churning maelstrom of a malevolent ocean, its waters rising and falling in spite of any human objection. 
The surface of the mirror pulls back for a moment. Just a moment. Enough time for Echo to grab this inferior woman right where her collarbone melts into her shoulder and strangle it with every ounce of strength she can muster. She screams. They both scream, actually. Echo's rage pouring from her tongue like poison. There will be no barrier between them, especially not this... this... worm that has squirmed her way into Caspian's arms and into her heart. Echo refuses to let this pest rot her from the inside out. The pest, on the other hand, screams in panic, shoving Caspian away. There was something on my neck, she says. Caspian tries to soothe her, tells her it's nothing, and she's imagining things. It must have been his hand, because who else's hand could it be? And wouldn't she like to kiss him again? He knows he's beautiful. He can see it. There's a mirror right there, and she's beautiful too, of course. And he cannot finish, because there's a fist bruising his eye and a door slamming in his face, and he's left alone with only himself. A mirror. And an echo. She revels in the euphoria of finally getting his attention, the glow of her spirit making a lantern light ring to harbor her in the void. A voice bubbles up from somewhere where a chest would be for the very first time, in order to laugh in disbelief, in awe. Such joy can only last so long, though. Caspian continues his reckless escapades, only returning some nights, never paying her any mind. It begins to feel like nothing has changed, for a while. For a week, Echo bides her time, putting all of her conscious energy into remaining tangible. She feels nerves begin to grow like roots inside the shell of flesh that surrounds her, individual digits creeping into the form of fingers and toes, like a newly born animal. For isn't that what humans are anyway? She falters on legs that have just been given a skeletal structure. And she watches. She holds her silent vigil until Caspian finally returns to her. Caspian isn't sure about that mirror. He's obviously imagining things. Obviously. Because there couldn't have been a hand in it. That's absurd. And if he thought he'd seen the soft curve of a palm pulling back, well, he hadn't. That's all there is to it. He tells himself this frequently, but he stays away, and no longer lingers, just in case. It's stupid. He knows it's stupid. Eventually his own stupidity catches up to him because this is his house, and his mirror, and he will not behave like a frightened child any longer, so there. He doesn't go out that night. Instead, he stays at home, sits on the bottom step, and scowls down something from the wine rack in the kitchen. He waits and watches. Nothing changes. All there is is the mirror. All there is is the reflection of the wall. The mirror is beautiful. He takes a step. He takes a swig. He takes another step. It is perhaps a stupid thing to become intoxicated while hunting ghosts. But I never said Caspian was clever. He is simply very, very pretty. When he reaches the mirror, he lunges. Not close enough to touch, just close enough to... Oh, I don't know. Scare it? Nothing happens. He smirks and drains the last dregs from his bottle. The wine has stained his lips, 
He leans in, rests an arm against the mirror's surface. He forgot about the magic of this mirror. Most reflections are stark and cold, but this one... It's as if it has captured his very soul. His gorgeous spirit. The very virtues that make him so irresistible. It's more intoxicating than his Cabernet. More luxurious than his finest things. Because it is nothing but Caspian. Echo flinches as he leans in, their faces inches apart. It's like his eyes have pierced through her new form straight to her essence, with which she has done nothing but loved him, her most perfect moment. Caspian stares at himself on the surface of the mirror, glistening like a pond left untouched so that its surface is still and serene. Perhaps he was wrong. Perhaps he was not made to be shared. For who else could deserve such beauty? He is beautiful, he thinks. This man is beautiful. Caspian leans in. Caspian, he whispers. He presses his lips gently against the surface. Echo troubles the water. In the flood of rage that runs from the crown of her head to the point where her heels meet the vast expanse of infinity, lies a snarling multitude of thoughts that hit her all at once. Not sending her sprawling backward, but towards him, towards the kiss that should have been hers, towards a love that only exists for its own twisted self-consumption. With all the power, the autonomy, the very essence of herself with which she has loved him, she realizes that he is only ever, and will only ever, see himself in her adoration and she lunges at the barrier that has kept him from her for so long with all the yearning she once had turned to fury. A hand reaches through the polished surface then another, sending crashing waves across the liquidized wall. He feels those ghostly hands he had seen nights before, now fully realized, hold on to the lapels of his shirt with a vice-like grip. Before he can do anything, she pulls him through. All the undercurrent noise of the natural world is sucked into the expanse of nothing. This static realm that stretches on forever consumes him, and all he can see within it is a golden rectangle that sees out between his entryway and living room, and a woman on the other side of a rippling portal. He opens his mouth to say something to her, anything, but it is ripped from his lungs as they cease to exist. Beyond the gilded glass, Echo stretches. Her limbs feel grounded, weighty, so different from the gossamer nothingness that came before. Her hair is slick, dripping with translucent gold. It's cold. She laughs. She turns to the mirror. Strange, she thinks, that it was once her home. It seems too small to contain something, someone, like herself. She wonders briefly if Caspian is in there. She wonders if he likes it. She doubts it. Then she takes a moment to look upon her own reflection. She is beautiful. 
Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Today's house is written by A.L. Withington, with dialogue editing by Kit Robson, soundscaping by Matthew O.K. Smith, music by Alex Schwartz, and art by Claudia Ballard. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.card.co or follow us on social media at neighborlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. Most of all, we would appreciate it if you told a friend because they might tell a friend and they might tell a friend and who knows eventually God might finally listen to us. Today's job advert slash wanted poster reads, Wanted. Tutor for Madeline. Must be proficient in ancient Greek lyric poetry and incantations. And please, just ignore her habit of crawling on the ceiling. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.